I want to welcome you this special Easter Sunday morning to our podcast worship of Crossroads Fellowship. Always glad to have you listening. I know that we have some who may have ca- caught us that are, is not a part of the family here at Crossroads Fellowship, and we're especially glad that you are here. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us together. And then I want to say to our church family at Crossroads, I'm always thankful to know that you're out there listening as we are uh, studying God's Word together. And I pray that He'll bless you as you are a part of this today. Well, as you know, because you're hearing this on a podcast, we were unable to go outside today because of the weather. And we had planned to do so, but things don't always go as we plan, as we're finding out in our nation But the weather will allow us, and so we're going to be working on when we can go out there on our property to worship on Sundays. What I would encourage you to do is you look at our webpage, and we will let you know when and if we're able to meet next Sunday out there, or you can go on our Facebook page, and we will have the information there. But we want you to know whether we're going to be outside or inside as uh, we get ready for this time uh, to uh, study God's Word together. But we get to hear it together, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning worshiping with us in all of this as well. Let me ask you, have you ever heard of a man named Harry Houdini? He died in October of 1926. His claim to fame was that he was a magician that specialized in spectacular escapes. It was said of Houdini that he laughed at locks and he sneered at fetters. People said of Harry that he had the flexibility of an eel and he had the the nine lives of a cat. People did all kinds of things to try to incarcerate him. They sealed him in coffins and he escaped. They riveted him in a boiler, he escaped. They chained him and sewed him in the canvas and dropped him in water. He escaped. They locked him in a milk can and he escaped. They sealed him in a beer barrel. He escaped. He was put in several maximum security prisons and somehow O'Harry would always get out. But in October of 1926, death bound Harry and locked him in a grave. And he is yet to escape. As a matter of fact, he told his wife before he died, if there's any way out, I'll find it. If there is a way out of death, I'll make my contact with you and I will do so on the anniversary of my death. For 10 years, she kept the light burning over his portrait. At the end of 10 years, she turned the light out. Death had Harry Houdini and he couldn't escape. Over 2,000 years ago, Death laid its hand upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Death put Jesus in a rock-hewn tomb. And there was a stone in the mouth, rolled in the mouth of the tomb. And a seal, a Roman seal, the government seal, was placed upon that tomb. Roman guards were posted at that tomb. And on the third day, Jesus Christ stirred himself. He arose from the sleep of death and he left those grave clothes behind that were wrapped around him. He just went out of those like a butterfly out of an abandoned cocoon. Jesus Christ passed through the walls of that solid rock tomb and later the stone was moved or rolled away 
to let his followers see that Jesus Christ was not there. And Jesus is alive this morning. He's not behind us in a tomb. He's before us on the throne. We thank God for that. That makes this Resurrection Sunday a big deal. But let me ask you this question. What is the big deal about it? What does it mean to me in 2020? What does it mean to you that He's raised? This one day, even with the COVID virus that's going on around this world, there'll be a billion people that will celebrate and remember our Savior's resurrection. But now I want to propose a troubling question. Suppose that there had not, that this had not happened. Suppose death still held Jesus Christ like, a, like it does Harry Houdini. Just imagine the unthinkable. Suppose there had been no Easter, no resurrection morning. Then what? Well, let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, dares to mention the unthinkable. Paul says this and supposes what would happen if he was still in the tomb. Hope you have your Bibles. You'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And I want you to listen what the Apostle Paul has. And you leave your Bible at that particular place because we're going to look at those, some scriptures after this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Did you hear that? If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, in those hours before your son was resurrected, your word tells us of the despair and the utter helplessness of your followers. But oh, what a difference that Resurrection Sunday made. And the helplessness and the despair was rolled away. Father, we find ourselves on this particular Easter Sunday as a nation and a world this morning that has some despair and discouragement and we feel helplessness. But oh, praise your holy name, we are reminded in this very moment, this very day, you are alive. You are alive. You have overcome death and the, and the grave and you have caused us, your children, to be born again to a living hope. We have a living hope. The enemy is powerless. He has no power of death today over us. Oh, praise your holy name. Now, as we study your word, Father, you reveal your resurrected self to us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to look at this hypothetical question. Just supposing Christ had not been raised. The Apostle Paul says that if that's true, then there's some frightening, disturbing implications. And we need to consider them. There's six of them. I hope you'll use your outline 
And we're going to look at those. The first on your outline, if Christ has not been raised, then we have nothing to preach. We have nothing to preach. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. The New Living Translation says it this way, then all our preaching is useless. We have nothing to preach. It's useless. Preaching would have no purpose. If the unthinkable has happened, if Christ is still in the grave, then what I'm doing this morning is a waste of time. I'm wasting my time by preaching and wasting your time by listening. And we ought to go do something else. Oh, I can lecture to you and I can entertain you with words, but I really have nothing to preach. Nothing that has power to change lives, to determine eternity, your eternal destiny. Why is our preaching useless? Because every preacher, every message is to have as its very heart, its very soul, the good news. You remember what the good news is? That's what is found in this same chapter. Paul has already told us this back in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 and then verses 3 and 4. Here's what he says. Now I would remind you, brethren, of the good news. Now the good news, you'll remember, is the gospel. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And then in verses 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says this is the good news, the gospel. No preacher has anything worth saying if he doesn't preach the gospel. And he has no gospel if Christ didn't raise from the dead. We might as well not preach. We can just all go home. Some theologians a few years ago decided that it was the wrong tomb theory. That's the reason they thought it arose, but he was still dead. And then there were some preachers in the 60s and 70s who said that the body of Jesus Christ still lies in the nameless Syrian grave, but his deathless spirit marches on. If that's true, then they don't have anything to preach. Neither do I. That kind of preaching is meaningless. It's futile. All of us preachers ought to just go get an honest job if Christ is still in the grave. Let me give you a second thing if Christ has not been raised. The Apostle Paul tells us this. Number two on your outline, then we have nothing to believe. We have nothing to believe. Think about that. This odorless, colorless, invisible, fat-free thing called faith is foolish. Trust in God is useless. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is useless. The message says it and everything you staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. That's a sobering thought. If the unthinkable has happened, if Christ has not come out of that grave, if there was no Easter, then everything you rely on is only an illusion. It's not really as you thought. Who wants to put their faith in Jesus if Jesus is dead? What good to believe that Christ died for my sins if I don't believe that God raised Him from the dead? I'd be trusting in something that's not worthy of my or deserving of my trust. It is this faith of believing in the resurrection that welcomes God to go to work in my life and change me Set things right in my life. Romans 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, now listen to this part, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
But if God has not been raised from the dead, then my faith, my belief is foolish. This is the difference between Jesus Christ and the founders of other religions. They lived, they died, they're dead. Jesus lived, He died, and He rose again. Jesus has escaped death. Romans 1 verse 4 says, speaking of Jesus, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, now listen to this part, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do I know that this Jesus Christ is really the Son of God? How do I know that all of His promises will be kept? How do I know that He can forgive me for the terrible things that I've done and save me from myself and from eternal separation from Him? This verse says that He is the Son of God He does have power because God raised him from the dead. That's the act of resurrection that God stamped and God's stamp of approval on that he has said and did and taught. But if there has been no Easter, if the unthinkable has happened, if he's still in that grave, then I don't have anything to believe. A dead Savior is nobody's Savior. There was a little boy in a classroom given an assignment by a teacher to write an essay on the world's greatest living man, such as a president or a member of Congress or an entertainer or a sports figure or a scientist or whatever. However, the little boy wrote about Jesus Christ. When the teacher received the paper, she said, now that's a good paper. Truly, Jesus was a great man, but you misunderstood the assignment. I want you to write of somebody who is living right now today. The little boy, without any stammer or stutter, looked at her and replied, But teacher, he is living today. He is alive. I want to tell you, he's alive. If Christ is not risen, let me give you a third thing that's disturbing that the Apostle Paul talks about here. If Christ is not risen, then the the apostles would be lying. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 15 says, We, speaking of the apostles are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God, about God, that He raised Christ. Now, do you hear what Paul really says in this argument? Paul's not saying, if Christ is still in that grave, we're mistaken. He's saying, we're liars. We're false witnesses. A false witness is someone who in court Law, uh, in a court of law, knowingly, willingly, deliberately perjures themselves and tells a lie. He knows better, but he's telling a lie. I want you to understand what Paul is saying. He's saying that we've testified that Jesus Christ is alive. We have seen Him. We've talked to Him. Many had eaten with Him. They had fellowshiped with Him. They touched Him after His resurrection. Now, Kent, how do we know that they didn't just make up this, make this up. How do you honestly know that they didn't just ghost up a good story about Jesus Christ? I'll tell you how you know. Most of these disciples and apostles paid with their very life's blood for their testimony and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Hypocrites and martyrs are not made out of the same stuff. You can live lie... But rare are the ones who die for a lie. Those people testified He's alive. We know He is alive. Many sealed their testimony with their lives. But if Jesus Christ is still in that grave, these apostles are liars. They're fakes. They're frauds. They're con men. 
Was the Apostle Paul naive about this? Is Peter a lying rascal? Was John deliberately giving a false testimony? Was James a part of a colossal fraud? Common sense says no. But if Christ is still in the grave, I have to accept that conclusion. Well, let me give you a fourth thing if Christ had not been raised. If Christ had not been raised, write this on your outline, then sin has never been forgiven. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 in the Phillips translation says, and your sins have never been forgiven. I'm still in my sin. If Christ's still in that grave, that means that God did not accept the payment for my sins. You see, when God raised Christ from the grave, that was proof positive and full pay- that full payment had been made for my sin and your sin. Romans 4 verse 25 in the Amplified says, talking of Jesus, who was betrayed and crucified, put to death because of our sins, and was raised from the dead because of our, because of our justification, our acquittal of our charges, absolving us of all sin before God. Now, He was put to death for our sins, but that alone is not enough. That alone is incomplete. Until God raised Him from the dead... All my guilt and all my sin is still there. It hadn't been absolved. It is not until sin is forgiven that the guilt is removed. I can be justified until I cannot be justified until he is raised. That means I can never get to heaven. If Christ is still in that grave, if the unthinkable has happened, then I don't have a half a hallelujah for my hope in heaven. That he died for me, or you, is not enough unless he also rose for me and for you. From the dead, his, from the dead, his resurrection is final approval and full payment of our sin. No resurrection, no Savior. No Savior, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, no justification. No justification, no cleansing. No cleansing. Then all the penalty of guilt of my sin is still upon me. Let me give you a fifth thing if Christ had not been raised that Paul talks about in this passage. If Christ Christ has not been raised from the dead, then death has final control. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 18 says, Then those also, also who have fallen asleep in Christ, that means all who have died believing in Christ, have perished. Philip's translation says they are utterly dead and gone. This is getting pretty serious. Your mother, your father, your children, your loved ones, they're gone. You'll never see them again. They are in the grave. That's it. It's over. It's finished. Death is won. Life is a colossal bad joke. Are you asking me to believe that the intelligence that created this universe, that created human life, intends for it all just to run down into the grave? Are you asking me to believe we are born crying, live complaining, and die disappointed? That's it. All we can ever hope for, and any of us, for any of us, is to get sicker and sicker and sicker until we die. And all that just ends in the veil of tears and we just decay in the ground. That's it. I'm supposed to believe that. That same grand scheme of things that made an entire universe and created man 
is to cause it all just to die? That death is a monster that has total control. I can't believe that. I can't accept that. I've sat with husbands and wives who have lost godly spouses and parents who have lost children. And I've been with them through the deep sorrow and I've heard the agony and the pain in their voices. And I've seen the tears, but I've also seen the light and the life of hope and heaven in their eyes. I am so glad I can pray and talk about the grand reunion there will be someday in heaven for those who have believed and trusted Christ and to save them. I am so glad I have that kind of a gospel to preach. I am so glad that it doesn't all end in tears and goodbyes. In Rome, the Christians were persecuted in the Colosseums and in the Roman circuses. And they were made sports, uh, sport of and put to death. And when they met together in worship, they had to meet underground. And many times they would meet down in the catacombs, the miles and miles of tunnels under the city of Rome. And those catacombs are about four by eight feet wide and about eight feet high, just small tunnels for miles. And the walls of those tunnels many times have crypts hewn out so that believers and unbelievers were buried back in the walls of those catacombs. And you can tell the difference between the non-Christians as they bury their dead and the Christians when they do, when they bury theirs. You can go through those and see the, 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 what that's written on their tombs. And you know it's a difference between hope and no hope. Listen to what the non-Christians would put on their tombs, the tombs of their dead. Live for the present hour since we're not sure of anything else. I will lift my hands against the God who took me away at the age of 20, though I had not done no harm. Once I was not, and now I am not. Traveler, curse me as you pass, for I am in darkness and cannot answer. But now listen to the difference in the words placed on the tombs of the Christians. Here lies Marcia, put to rest in a dream of peace with her Savior. Lawrence, to his sweet, sweetest son, carried away by the angels. He went away in peace. Another one, victorious in peace and in Christ. That's the difference it makes between Christ that, because Christ has risen. The Bible promises in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which remain in our lives shall be caught up with them to meet them, to meet the Lord in the air. But if I, but if, If the unthinkable has happened, if there is no Easter, then death has final control. Well, friend, let me give you the the last and the sixth one that Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, then the future is fearful. The future is fearful. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in Christ we have no hope in this, or we have hope only in this life, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Can you imagine that? We're to be pitied. If this is all there is, then it's bad news. In fact, that verse says, we who have put our trust in Christ are worse off than those who don't because we're deceiving ourselves. If Christ is still in that grave, 
The good times are but for a moment and it's going to get worse. We will get sicker and sicker. We will have problems. We're going to be infirmed. And some greedy disease will gnaw at my body until it's over. One by one, we'll see our family stripped away by death. Ernest Hemingway said, It is though we are a colony of ants living on one end of a burning log. Life is merely the filler between birth and death. We have nothing to look toward or forward to but a hole in the ground. Boy, I don't like that. I don't take alcohol. I don't take drugs. But if I really believed that, I could understand why one would want to do so. We would look for a way of escape if that's what we really believe. We're worse off than anyone else. This whole time, this whole thing of time and eternity is a bad joke. It makes no sense. It's chaotic if Christ still is in that grave. That makes the future fearful. But now, under life application, I want to give you some truth. I want to tell you, He's not in the tomb. Christ is risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen are those who have died. Because Christ is risen from the dead, write this on your outline. Preaching has purpose. Because He's raised from the dead. We have something to preach. Secondly, faith is feasible. You have something to believe. The third, the disciples are dependable. Those apostles were, those apostles were truth-tellers, not liars. Number four, sin has been subdued. Number five, death has been defeated. Number six, the future is fabulous because Christ has been raised from the dead. He's taken the sting out of sin, the gloom out of the grave, the dread out of death. He's taken us... He has given us hope that is steadfast and sure. There was a fable that was written. There was a spider in this fable who saw a great muscular massive lion go into a cave. The spider was envious of that great king of the jungle. So he said to himself, I will imprison that lion in this cave. So while the lion was asleep in the cave, the spider began to spin a web across the mouth of that cave back and forth, up and down. He spun and spun and spun until he almost spun himself away. Then this little spider sat down by the side of the cave and said, Now the mighty beast is my prisoner. No longer will he seek his prey in the dark of the night. No longer will he bask in the golden sunlight. Now I have taken him captive. He's my prisoner. The old lion woke from his nap. He shook the dust from his mane. He yawned and stretched himself. And then he let out a roar that echoed across the valleys and over the hills. And he walked out of that cave and never ever knew that the spider web was even there. Friend, let me tell you something. Infidelity and hate and sin wove a web of unbelief across the tomb of our Savior. Jesus Christ. But the Lion of the tribe of Judah has risen from the dead. And he never even knew that the devil's flimsy web was there. Jesus is alive. He is alive. He's alive today. He's not dead. 
No matter what the skeptics say, love wins. He is not dead. Because Christ is alive, all of His promises are yes and amen. Now let me tell you something, friend. You can refuse Him, but you can't ignore Him. Your future can be secure. Death is a universal problem. Death is an absolute. We're all terminal. Only the foolish go through life unprepared for something they all know is inevitable. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. For He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Hebrews 2.14, the Amplified says, So that through death, He, Jesus Christ, might make powerless Him, speaking of Satan, who had the power of death. He took it away from Him. Although completely sinless, Christ voluntarily submitted to the penalty of sin. The sacrifice of Christ for our welfare satisfied the justice and the holiness of God. And now we can say, as Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Friend, I want you to know, I'm not talking about just mental belief. I'm not talking about just thinking it's like that. I'm talking about submitting your total being to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you promise and commit your life to Him to follow Him the rest of your days. You receive Him as the boss of your life. He is the one you'll follow for the rest of your life. And when you do that, you have confessed your sin and the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will have eternal life. I saw this about a year ago on the road to Princeton down 91 from Hopkinsville on the marquee of a church. And here's what it said on that Easter marquee. He is up, He is out, and He's about. I want to tell you that's exactly what he is. And you want me to tell you what he's about? He's about bringing the lost to the Father. Friend, on this Resurrection Sunday, don't you let another year pass that you do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and follow him for the rest of your life. You know death is inevitable. But because he rose from the dead, we can have life and life eternal. Before we close in prayer, I just want to say two or three things to our listening audience. Let, remind, let me remind you to continue to check on those around you as our church family. You check with them and you check with our church family. We need to minister to them during this time as well. And then we will uh, meet sometime outside. Hopefully it will be next Sunday. And if not, we'll find out when we can. Let me also praise God for your faithfulness in your tithes and your offerings to support the expenses of God's Word. 
We praise you. God's thankful for your obedience that you give in this time. Also, remember again, if you need me, my number is in the bulletin and you can get a hold of me anytime. Let's close in prayer. Father, this morning, on this Easter Sunday, I praise You for the resurrection of Your precious Son, our Savior. May we rejoice no matter how difficult life is around us and the things that we see around us because You have given us eternal life who have received You. So Father, we have much to rejoice in. This morning as we do pray, I pray for the needs of spouses and children who are in abusive situations. I pray for marriages that are struggling in these difficult times that there has been much going against their marriages. My heart goes out to pastors who are wrestling with crisis of insufficient funds and wondering if they're going to be able to keep their church family together. Father, give them strength as they turn to You. For churches like Crossroads who find themselves in between uh, leadership or in leadership transformation, encourage them as well. Father, I realize that people right in our church, Crossroads, some have already lost their job and some will lose their jobs before this is over with. I pray, Father, for encouragement for them. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to know you know they're in this situation. You will meet every need they have. Father, I pray for non-believers today who have no direction to turn to. But in all this crisis, I pray, Father, that they would turn to you. And I pray that in all of this, most that we don't even understand, I pray you'll be glorified. Your holy name will be lifted up. And Father, I pray that you will help me as I proclaim your word and that my life would proclaim your sovereignty and I would realize your sovereignty that you are in control and that nothing is out of your control. Father, I pray for those who listen and for our church family. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.